There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. archives an actual play podcast where we take on the role of archivists working for an interdimensional library as archivists we are tasked with journeying out into the realms taking on characteristics of people from that reality and remedying whatever issues may be causing a disturbance in that dimension in this chapter we're going to be playing heroic chord you may have heard of this game if you're a fan of sword of symphonies another podcast in the be gay roll dice network you should definitely be listening to them if you're not already In this episode, we'll discuss some of the rules and mechanics of the game before creating our character sheets and diving in. But first, we're just going to take a moment to introduce ourselves. I'm Dorka. My pronouns are she, her. My character is Zen, the big buff lizard princess who maybe probably has some secrets that she isn't telling. No, you definitely have secrets you aren't telling. We spent like the past like two chapters being like, what the (laughs) fuck is Zen doing? Zen, tell us. So um, I guess I'll go next. My name is Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the adorable human office lady who will find out those secrets come hell or high water. Oh, God. <laughs> Not today, Linda. <laughs> uh, my name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them, and I play real Daedra Kell, who is a tiefling, not really child. They're an adult. They're 21, and they just like to sleep and play video games all day. But also, they want to find out Zen's secrets. We'll see how that goes. You know, I know where you live. I can tie you down and interrogate you. That's some big threatening energy to start the episode off with. <laughs> So on that note, this is a special chapter for a couple reasons. First, this is going to be the first time that Zen, Rill, and Linda all get to go on a mission together. And that's super exciting. Yay! And the second reason that this chapter is special is the reason that makes that possible for us. For the first time, we have a guest GM. So Kat, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi! I am Kat. I am the host king of the podcast Sword of Symphonies. I am a game designer. Heroic Chord is my baby, my my big adventure game. But I also do a lot of cute little solo games as well from time to time. I have been playing tabletop games since D&D 3rd Ed. Played a lot of 3rd Ed. Too much 3rd Ed. (laughs) We've all been there. Let's see. You can find me on Twitter at CatlingGun. That's C-A-T-L-I-N-G gun. Like pew, pew. And also at Peach Garden RPGs, which is my cute little studio that has uh, grown to include my beloved friends from Sword of Symphonies as well. Sword of Symphonies is a playtest of Heroic Chord. It's still very much in the testing phase. So what you're all about to hear is a little bit of a test, too. That's super exciting. I'm really excited. Yeah. Super exciting. Me too. And the reason is you. Sorry, when Dorka <laughs> said the reason, I wanted to... Okay, anyway, sorry. Go on. Fair warning, that is not getting cut. That is going to be <laughs> on the internet forever. I'm fine with that. So it's my turn to ask the question. That is correct. Go for it. 
Because Heroic Court is a game about people going to dangerous places and doing dangerous things, I wanted to ask everyone, do you consider yourself an adrenaline junkie? Okay, I'm, I'm going to go first because I have a strong feeling about this. So I would say on the whole, no, I'm a very play it safe kind of person, except for roller coasters, which I'm obsessed with. This has come up on the podcast before and it's going to come up again every time I get an option to talk about them until I die. I love roller coasters. So not on the whole, like I would never like go skydiving. Um, I'm not going to go base jumping. I don't really even like skiing very much, but I love roller coasters a lot, a lot. So what's the most dangerous roller coaster you've been on? See, I haven't really been on a ton of super dangerous ones. Like I've never been on like the ones in like the sketchy water parks in Wisconsin that have killed people. I guess. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> technically, the most dangerous roller coaster I've been on would be Apollo's Chariot because of the goose thing i guess so what, what? please elaborate <laughs> okay um so um, i like how you're just like yeah the goose like all of us <laughs> <laughs> i thought everyone knew this story so when apollo's chariot at bush gardens williamsburg first opened um fabio was their guest of honor because he's italian and it's in the italian part of the park and he was on the like the front row of the first train you know looking like fabio he's got like the flowing hair and he's got a couple like greek maidens sitting next to him and as they went down the first hill a very confused goose who didn't know that the roller coaster was there flew straight into Fabio and broke his nose and died. Oh. <laughs> and so there's all so like I feel very sad for the goose, but there's also all these amazing pictures of Fabio with like flowing hair and like Greek maidens looking like what the fuck and he's like dr like pouring blood everywhere. So Is the goose dead or? Yeah, no, the goose died. Oh no. Jesus. But on the other hand, they now have and this is not a joke, they have anti-goose security systems around Apollo's chariot so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, for the next time Fabio goes to a roller coaster opening <laughs> at Busch Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a question that only Ziva could have objectively answered. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's uh that's the end of of Ziva's roller coaster corner. All right. So would I consider myself an adrenaline junkie? I'm definitely pretty adventurous. My most exciting hobby is rock climbing. And I have almost no fear of heights. I don't want to say no fear like entirely because when you're 60 feet up a wall, like and you look down, you know, there are some feelings there. <laughs> there ought to be. Yeah. But it's never stopped me and it's always just like very exciting for me. So I don't know that I'm an adrenaline junkie in the sense that I'm like constantly out there looking for the next dangerous thing to do. But like I would absolutely go skydiving giving the chance. Like I've done like parasailing. I do like to do like skiing, biking, going fast and just always rock climbing. Give me any rock and let me climb it. I go out to like parks and stuff now and I see big rocks and I'm like, oh, can I climb that? I'm a different person since I started rock climbing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go first, Kat, or should I go first? I can go because I like I would definitely 100% go skydiving. I've always wanted to. I never have. I am thoroughly be tatted. I love getting tattoos. Oh, I love coasters. Hell the yeah. most dangerous coaster I've ever been on is the Mindbender, which does technically have a body count. Oh, it sure does. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it hasn't murdered me yet. I'm stronger than the Mindbender. Now I'm oh. the Mindbender. <laughs> oh, God. Next time I see Kat, uh, they're just going to pick me up and throw me. Uh, am I an adrenaline junkie? Wow. I'll give everyone one second to answer that question. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I am not. I am the least adventurous person. I am afraid of everything. I was actually thinking about this. I was like, what about from Rill's perspective? Are they an adrenaline junkie? And I was like, I can't I can't have the same answer as them because it that really is just like they are just me and I don't want I don't want that. So I'm gonna say for real, they are a little bit because they probably just want to feel something. <laughs> so- We've seen Rill get a little manic before. That's true. That's true. Rill's got an undercurrent. Bappy is at their most adventurous at the Renaissance Fair food court. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get my license and I was like 24, 25. And it was like years of just like very slowly multiple people teaching me how to drive. And I, I think one of them was just I was in a neighborhood cul-de-sac with my friend and there was a deer like across the street, like 200 feet away. And I just started screaming. <laughs> so that's kind of um, that's the energy I bring. <laughs> now I live in Texas and I drive like a lunatic because it's basically Mad Max in Austin. So <laughs> I feel like Austin should be the least Mad Max part of Texas. You would think. They've got some of that Burning Man energy down there. Yeah. Oh, okay. People just, also the infrastructure is just really bad. Like, I, I think when I was still driving to work at my last job, I would see, like, at least a car crash a week, if not daily. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So that deer prepared me. Thank you, <laughs> deer, from however long ago. <laughs> That's beautiful when you think about it. Yeah. It's forever in my heart. That deer's probably dead. I don't know how long deer will Oh, my God. Too, but- <laughs> wow, this episode's getting weird already. There's been a body count in this episode, and we haven't even started <laughs> playing the game. And the, the funniest part is that this is actually like a very wholesome and beautiful game. So since Kat here is the actual creator of Heroic Chord, there's no one better to lead our discussion of it. So let's stop talking about animal death and start talking <laughs> about the game and the mechanics. Okay. Take it away, Kat. <laughs> so Heroic Chord takes place on the continent of Amilta, a world that is recovering from a century old apocalypse. Um, there isn't any war here. There are barely countries here. The mountains that cross the center of the continent melted and just flattened everything a hundred years ago. And people are still kind of trying to figure out what kind of new world they want to live in. The gods of Amilta are asleep in the form of monuments. Like Windswept Tamiris is a big mossy boulder. Wailing Agrippina is an iron statue at the top of a mountain. And they call people to make pilgrimages to them. And in return, they grant them power. Those people are called rangers, and that's what the PCs play. So unlike maybe a lot of games that you've heard on the Eternity Archives, backstory is a very important part of Heroic Chord. It's assumed that you undertook one of these dangerous journeys. Obviously, Rill, Zen, and Linda haven't. They haven't been to a Milta before. Don't worry about it. We cheated. We're cheating. <laughs> We're cheating and you can't stop us. The, the magic of the library allows for such things. Exactly. This is our podcast and we'll do what we want. <laughs> so because their power is kind of divine in nature, but it's also tied to the natural world, they're kind of like part D&D cleric, part D&D ranger and part something else too. Every kind of ranger has different powers depending on where they went and who they got their power from. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when we talk about the characters' sheets, which I'm unfathomably excited for. You have no idea. So, a character in Heroic Chord has five stats. These are different stats than you're used to, because I don't believe intelligence is a thing. I don't believe some people are smart and other people are not smart. So, I scrapped the whole thing. I support you. Yeah. I think we're all pretty much in huge favor of that, especially after some of the other games we've played here. So the stats in Heroic Chord are about how a character responds to difficulties and how they choose to solve the problems placed in front of them. Adaptability, subtlety, 
sensitivity, daring, and understanding. So whether your character is buff or burly, that's up to you. The rules don't care. Whether your character is crafty or dim, I don't think that's a thing. But if you want to play it that way, go for it. The rules don't care. You can combine these, we call them facets. You combine them with your skills pretty much any way you like to describe an action. Say if you're vaulting over a wall, you would roll daring and athletics. If you are sneaking along a tile roof, you might instead roll subtlety and athletics. And you roll a mitful of d6s. I love rolling mitfuls of d6s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A five or six counts as a success. Good job, you did it. Two, three, and four aren't counted. And if you get a one, that's what we call an edge success, which is a success you only get to keep if you agree to a devil's bargain with me, the GM. There are a lot of things I like about Heroic Chord, but I think the edge successes are one of my favorite things. And another important thing a character has is called their key. Every character has a list of five motivations, and they're not taken from a list in the manual or anything. They're totally freeform. You just come up with five things that motivate your character. And whenever you're doing something that pulls on this motive, you can add two extra die, cross it off your list. When you cross off all five, you get to use your special signature spell. And we're going to talk more about magic in a bit. I love key. I'm very excited to hear everybody's key. I like trying to figure it out because it's a, a really good way to sort of, you know, when you make a character in another game, it's like you pick a class or skill or whatever that you're like, this would be fun to play. But like the personality of the character maybe doesn't really get formed until maybe as you play a bit more. But like right at the start with Hero Accord, it's like you kind of have to figure out the cornerstones of the character in a way. And of course, you can always build on those nuances, but it's like very interesting to just be able to sit down and be like, hmm, what kind of character do I want to play in terms of like motive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like in a lot of other games, you start with the race and class and go from there. And in Heroic Chord, like since the background is so important and the key is so important, you kind of approach it from the other direction with like, what kind of character do I want to play? And maybe from there, like what sort of ranger am I going to be? I just think that's a really introspective way to go about things. And there aren't a lot of games like that out there. I'm a sentimental person and I've made a sentimental game. <laughs> I have no apologies for it. And I love it. Yeah, I'm very excited. I both really like the key in terms of like a gameplay mechanics perspective. Like I think that focusing on characters brings a lot to the the tabletop experience. And I think it's something that the old school games um, haven't necessarily encouraged that's like much more focused on in the indie scene. And so I really love that that's the approach you've taken. But also, yeah, I agree with Babby that it, it was a really good thing to do for our characters as well. Thinking about Linda and like that like deep level was a good exercise and also a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to see like how everything shakes out. Oh, I'm glad. Like we've been with these characters for how long now? And I don't think I've ever actually sat down and like I know Zen's personality, but I've never had to define it in a sort of concrete way. Yeah. And so that was, uh, it was interesting. I'm so excited for these character sheets. <laughs> Thank you, Kat, for making our podcast better, because now we actually kind of know our characters. No, <laughs> I'll have you know, I think your podcast is wonderful. Aww. <laughs> so rangers have the ability to push their spirit outside of themselves to affect the world around them. This is the magic system in Heroic Chord. It's called scattering. And if you think it sounds like disassociating, it is and I do. Don't worry about it. 
characters kind of actively dissociate in order to cast spells, which is why if you gain 10 scatter, you pass out. You're too far outside your body. You can no longer control yourself. You fall over. They have a list of six words called their personal spell pieces. These are words like wind or seeking or searing or Kirsten's favorite arrow. When it's time to cast a spell, I give you a list of my words that are present in the scene. And you combine one of your words with one of mine to make a phrase. And then we discuss how much scatter it should give you and what it should do. Magic is very freeform in this game, and I'm super excited to see what spells you all cast. Yeah, and I love the collaborative nature of it. Like, it's not just you're collaborating with the GM to figure out what you can do, but you're also collaborating with, like, the environment and the setting. And I think that's really beautiful. Also, from a mechanical standpoint, like, we've played a lot of games where we've just talked about, like, how the magic system is kind of weird, and a lot of games have a lot of trouble balancing magic. And I think that building magic into every character as a core concept is honestly probably a pretty good way to make it balance a little better. Also, as a fun note, this is going to be the first time that Zen has had any sort of magic. I hadn't even (laughs) thought of that. But yeah, I didn't want there to be a caster class or a fighter class or what have you, because I think when I devised this magic system, I realized that I wanted everyone to be able to use it. <laughs> yes, because it's like you you put so much thought into how this works. And then it's like, and then, you, you know, if you have three caster classes and then like six melee classes or martial classes, then it's like, cool, I put all this thought into this fucking dope ass magic system and only some <laughs> of you can use it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, seconding what Dorka said, like, I just think it's very romantic in, like, the literature sense of, like, it's cozy, right? If, you know, uh, can't second it enough and say it enough, but, like, the descriptions in Heroic Horde of all the locations and the lore and stuff is just very, like, we already said beautiful. I can't really think of another word, but yeah, no. It's like a fluffy blanket. Yeah. And just, like, you know, as uh, Kat said, like, it's kind of like a post-apocalypse world, right? And you would think, you know, like Mad Max, like Austin, Texas, when you're driving down 360. (laughs) But no, it's like nature reclaimed it kind of beauty and like the perseverance of humanity and like kind of that sort of post-apocalyptic tone, which is just like, we should have more of that. (laughs) So thank you for putting your brain baby into this world. Aww, that be my heart, my heart and my feelings. This is going to be a very uh, feelings heavy episode, both because of the mechanics of the game and because of just the enthusiasm we have for it. I'm so excited for this. One more thing a ranger has got is that every type of ranger has a special ally. If you're playing a Wailing Arcanist, you have a demonic familiar that can do things like steal things or help you recover from scatter. A Volcanic Tracker has a connection to the Coral Spirit, which has a control over the land and the scene. These are smaller pools of five scatters that come with a unique consequences. For example, when the Volcanic Tracker gains five scatter into this pool, they become rooted and unable to leave the scene. They become part of the natural environment. It's different for everybody. And we're going to be talking a little bit about those when we meet everybody. I think that's everything I wanted to go over. Is there anything you guys wanted to discuss before we got into characters? I did just want to circle back to the edge successes because I mentioned like I'm a huge fan of that mechanic and I just wanted to like talk about it a little more because I'm so interested in it. 
I love how the edge successes give the player a little bit of just extra control over the narrative and the story. Like you sort of have an idea of what you're about to get into and you can decide whether or not to accept that instead of just kind of being told what's going to happen. And I think that sort of collaboration between the player and the GM is something I'm really excited about. We have that with the edge successes. We have that with the spells and the spell pieces. And this is just something I've been getting into a lot more recently is games where that line between like the player and the GM is blurred a little bit more. And there's just a lot of collaboration at the table in general to further the story and build up the game. I can't express enough how excited I am. (laughs) Yeah, I am from a design philosophy and just like a tabletop philosophy. I'm super big into GMs and players working together. I know that this is something that I've mentioned before is the idea that your GM is like your enemy and that they're trying to trick you into doing stupid stuff and all dying. This game is like almost aggressively the opposite of that. And I think that's really great. I mean, it's going to be extra cool playing it with you since you're the creator of the world. You both get to be the creator of our micro world of our mission. But also, you know, since you're the creator of the wider world, I feel like it's going to be a really interesting space to collaboratively explore. So excited. The reason I put edge successes in is because I wanted players to have the freedom to choose failure. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah, I wanted to have a situation where players could be like, okay, if you succeed, this is the consequence. And for players to be free to say, I don't want that. I will fail rather than take this consequence because uh, I've played games where players have a chance to choose failure and it results in some, at least in the other games I've played with it, really beautiful moments where it's like, no, this is not that important to me. Right. My hope is that edge successes allow players to choose failure at moments when it would be dramatically important. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like that really enhances the role playing aspect. Like a lot of games, you're kind of just encouraged to do what is mechanically best at times. Mm -hmm. And a game like this, it gives you the warning of if you do this, bad things will happen. And sometimes that's more interesting. And sometimes that encourages you to play more true to your character in ways that other games do not allow for. I hope that's the case. That's what I want in my heart. Another thing that I wanted to say about the system that I think is really neat is I really just love the amount of world building that you've done and the kind of world building that you've done. I love world building just a lot. There's stuff in here that, of course, like touches close to some of like the high fantasy that we know and stuff in here that, of course, reminds me of little bits and pieces. But on the whole, this is like it feels very grounded in the universe, but it's really different than like a D&D or a Pathfinder. And I think that this is definitely one of those games that, again, is like one of the things that the indie scene does really well, which is that this is not like D&D with different mechanics. This is pretty different. And that's that's true in just the mechanics, but it's also really true in the world building. And I also like that the world building, it gives me that same sort of cozy feeling as, as some of those Miyazaki movies. I know I keep bringing up Miyazaki movies, but it's because I love them. It reminds me a little bit of Nausicaa in terms of like it being post-apocalyptic and like trying to like rebuild a society and, you know, sort of like reclaim the earth a little bit. And of course, like the big world meltdown reminds me a little bit of Wheel of Time too. The moral of the story is there's lots of really cool little bits of, of lore and world building in here. And for me personally, it hits notes of several things that I really, really like. I'm excited to play in this space. Thanks for inviting us to build castles in your sandbox. (laughs) That's high praise. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to make castles with you. This is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) 
I also appreciate that like we were able to get such a sense for the lore and the world and that so much of it is like built into the classes and the mechanics and didn't require a hundred pages in the back of the manual. Yeah, Lancer. <laughs> I've, I've played Lancer twice and I still haven't read the manual all the way through. <laughs> Sorry, Lancer. I love you. <laughs> I enjoy Lancer, but I probably never will. <laughs> Whereas, like, the Heroic Chord Manual, I had no problem just, like, sitting down and reading it all the way through. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you. And yeah, I know it's still, like, a playtest and it's not a 100% finished game, but there's just a real solid foundation there. Ah. I've got a couple changes I still want to make, but for the most part, the mechanics are set in stone at this point. You know what hasn't been brought up? Could you tell us a little bit about the the combat system? Oh, yeah, I can talk about combat. The combat system is actually relatively new. Basically, what happens is the party makes this pool of successes that we call the advantage pool, and it represents all the ways in which the party can gain the upper hand. On every person's turn, they have a choice to either contribute to the pool in order to give the party an advantage any way they can think of doing that. There's no like combat actions or non-combat actions. Like if you can think of a way to use subtlety humanity to tell a lie that gives the party an advantage, A plus, do it, yes, please. Or they can take successes out of the pool and use them to advance a goal. There are three different goals in any encounter, most encounters. Destroy, which means obviously to destroy your enemy. Outlast, which is to escape the situation alive. And redirect, which is to change the situation in some way. They each have different difficulties and require different amounts of successes, depending on what kind of encounter you're fighting. My hope is, and this is one of the newer parts of Heroic Chord, so it's still very, very much in testing, is that it gives players the opportunity to think tactically about things on their character sheet that they may not have thought of as combat actions. And also, when they're in an encounter, even though there's different difficulties for the three goals, the party is still free to decide, I don't want to advance destroy in this encounter. You can advance destroy in a combat against an animal, but a lot of players will decide not to and will decide to redirect or try to escape. The party's free to do as they please in that score. Yeah, I like how it gives you that freedom of choice, like you said, where people can think more about how to advance a situation tactically instead of just like, yes, here is a monster. I'm just going to stab the monster. I'm going to hit the problem until it goes away. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Which you still could do. And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with games where that is the goal because that's what those games are designed for. But like, you know, for instance, in D&D, it's like there are lots of utility spells and you can use those in very fun and cool ways, but it's like... Like, I can also just shoot firebolts because that lets me roll lots of dice and I can kill stuff and do lots of cool magic stuff. And so you kind of build your characters towards that where it's like, I could build a character that's maybe less combat focused and might be able to do other interesting things. But depending on the kind of game you're playing with the kind of DM, it's like, okay, well, now my character sucks and can't really do much in a bunch of these sessions. But whereas with this, it's like, well, maybe I do have a character that is better at utility type stuff or talking or whatever and it's like they can still have a purpose because there is a for lack of a better term like an hp for that kind of encounter that isn't just hitting it to death so i like that it gives you that option yeah i like that you're not uh penalized for making a character that just isn't great at fighting actually the character i'm most excited to watch in combat as we play this game is real 
Really? <laughs> well, usually, Bappy, you stat Rill up as like a non-combatant or like a rogue type. And I'm really curious to see how that translates into this combat system where you suddenly have a lot more combat options available. Yeah, that's true. You've thought about this more than I have, but I guess that's fair because <laughs> it's your game. <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm also very excited because like I've seen Linda in combat when Linda has no choice to combat. But what does Linda look like in combat where Linda has the option to just be Linda? Yeah, I'm I'm very excited because I think in like a perfect world, Linda would do a lot less fighting and a lot more talking and and manipulating and working using her words, basically. And so I'm very excited to see um, how this is going to shake out. And Zen's kind of the control group here. You all know (laughs) Zen is just going to try and solve her problems with violence. And that's okay. There's room for all of them. Yeah. Zen can roll daring melee weapons and hit it with an axe. Like that's in the rules. That's allowed. I also really like that this gives the option to non-fatally deal with enemies as well, since we famously um, have had problems with this in the past. Um, Can I do non-lethal range damage in a record? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's uh, it's having the choice. I think that it's like one of the bummers about classic RPG systems. And this is like every RPG, like this goes for your Skyrims and your Final Fantasies and your, um, you know, your D&Ds, of course, which is that it's really easy to just blow through and destroy everything without like, uh, without thinking about it. And not every game needs to be Undertale, right? It needs to have like, have you thought about what this enemy's life was like? But it's nice <laughs> when that's an option, right? That you can, you can approach situations in different ways and not rely on like the old standby of like you show up and you destroy everybody and you go cool good job and you walk away so i just you know i think that fits really nicely with a lot of stuff everyone was saying in terms of like wholesomeness and that there's a warmth to this system and i think that um you know you still have the option to like destroy big scary demons but you don't have to there's lots of there's lots of ways to approach it i'm so glad i'm so excited for this now is it time for you to tell me about the character sheets now is it time for me to hear about the character sheets (laughs) I think Kat is going to explode if we don't tell I'm them so about our character about sheets. The character sheets. So before we talk about the character sheets, can we have like no! a forty five <laughs> I'm dying? Let's talk about characters. Okay, okay. Uh, all right. The God King has spoken. So for Rill so it's funny because I wasn't really sure because just all of the classes and stuff look very interesting. And I believe Kat was like, well, if you play an infiltrator, they can text their friends. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, like, the beckoning infiltrator is very, like, real themed. I can get more into it, I think, once I, you know, explain what all this stuff is. And, and Kat can also correct me, of course, when I get something wrong. <laughs> so for the beckoning infiltrator, the nifty little line that Kat wrote for them are they are stealthy urban stalkers who stay connected to their allies even at a distance. I guess what is the best way to go about this? Should I just kind of go down the list or do you want to give a little blurb about the classes or? I'll talk a little bit about the Beckoning Infiltrator before you get started. Okay, yeah, go for it. Beckoning Infiltrators have done a pilgrimage to a place called the Old Capital. It used to be the capital of a massive empire before the mountains melted and now it's just a ruin. At the center of this ruin, there there is a statue. All that can be seen is the arm and hand reaching out of the earth. And her name is Beckoning Atosa. She is the goddess of revolution. She is closely guarded because of the kind of rangers that are produced when people meet Atosa. She is not interested in rebuilding the world. She was not interested in the world existing beforehand. 
She wants to stand against oppression and destroy anything that would oppress people, regardless of how entrenched or established it is. So beckoning infiltrators have a lot of stealth abilities, and they also have a lot of abilities to forge meaningful connections with people, because Atosa believes that people are what really matters. All of that kind of let me really reflect on the goals that I had for real and what kind of person they are. And so like a lot of it is that they have this dissatisfaction with life and society as it is. So that part with Atosa where they don't care about the old world, they don't care about rebuilding, that is very extreme, but I think that can also reflect Rill's beliefs and ideas. They don't care about the society they came from. They don't care about making some kind of new society that's also gonna like suck shit. Their important thing is people and their connections to people. And so I really like with the beckoning infiltrator, it's like, because, you know, like you said, it's connections to people, but they also like stealth around like solo, right? But they're still like connected to people when they're alone. And so there is like that emphasis on self, but also with other people. So Rill is a solitary, shy type of person, but they still care about, you know, like Zen, Linda, whatever family or friends they might have left behind like those are still important to them and so that's something they kind of like grapple with I guess is finding a balance between isolating themselves but also still making connections with other people so I thought like beckoning infiltrator was like the perfect suggestion even with like the meme suggestion of like you can text your friends (laughs) but it's like literally like everything about this ranger class like I think fits very perfectly and neatly with real yeah so uh so you pick a couple specialties each class has their specific class specialty right yeah Okay, so mine is uh, the Street Stalker, which is you start the advantage pool with three successes in it while you're in urban or ruins environment. Hopefully we're in some urban or ruin environments, because if not, I'm not going to be able to use that too much, but (laughs) (laughs) that's fine. And then you also pick a combat specialty. Mine is the strategist. And then you can also pick like a season one ability for each class. Um, And mine is the expanded lexicon assist ability. So I can use a spell piece that a person I know can use. So I can use your guys' words because Real knows them words. Honestly, I should have structured this out a little bit more. But what parts, what other parts of this sheet should I cover? Stats, 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 stats. Okay, so with stats, you start one point off in each of the stats, and then you have five more points to kind of deliver them up into. For daring, real stays at one. They're not a super daring person. Subtlety, I also put them at one, even though they're like this rogue-like class adaptability. I also put them at one because (laughs) they are like pretty stubborn and set in their ways and then the two stats i put like my points in are understanding which is at a three and sensitivity which is at a four because they are like more cerebral i guess and more empathetic like kind of just being aware of their surroundings being aware of other people trying to understand stuff you know like a situation once again from like a strategic or tactical standpoint if that's what it is or just in general right like they don't they're not like zen they're not gonna run in and and hit stuff with the sword they can they have but that's not what they're good at (laughs) and then i guess what else should i be hitting up next key 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 okay so my key pieces the pieces that make up this real sandwich my five pieces are connection guilt kindness loyalty and regret and so kind of like what i started off at the top with 
their whole thing is being connected to people and, you know, maybe they have some regrets or guilt about what they did or didn't do in their previous life before the library, which makes them sound like they were like a serial killer or something. That's not what I meant, but like just like like missed opportunities and stuff like that. Secret (laughs) real backstory. Uh, the secret real backstory is a CW teen drama, so it's nothing like exciting. Don't worry about it. Real joined three cults and a gang. Real was the D and D backstory in Riverdale. Uh, they are... But has Real experienced the epic highs and lows of high school football? Oh, absolutely not. They were dealing drugs for their grandmother at four. No. Um... <laughs> okay. And uh, what else? What else should I cover here? Did you answer any of the background questions? I didn't, but if you want to hit me up, maybe I can just like answer a couple of them right off the fly. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask two of the background questions. Where does Rill feel safest? Ooh, fuck. Hard hitting right off the bat. It's me deep. It's funny because the last recording session, I was like trying to give a little bit more real backstory, and Dorkup was like, Oh, so surprising. You gave Rill a depressing tidbit of their life. And that, that's just kind of like, whenever no. I think about Tom Rill, it's always like, Yeah, this is a little sad, but <laughs> where do they feel safest? Honestly, I don't think they know really where they feel safest. <laughs> They're the type of person who likes solitude and isolates themselves if they're feeling like overwhelmed but on the other hand of that like I think their worst enemy is themselves and so it's kind of like a double-edged sword there where it's like external stimulus is like way too much but then you want to isolate and then your your mind kind of starts going right and then it's just like kind of start attacking yourself and I think that's something they have a lot of issue and that's like an area of growth for them that they need to kind of figure out like what what does make them feel safe you know can they find a place to make them feel safe when they haven't even come to terms with that kind of thing like with them with themselves i guess next question does real have a sense of duty yes and i think that bites them in the ass because they would put that sense of duty above what they want which they don't really even know what that is and i think that's kind of where some of that regret and guilt comes from is they have this sense of duty to their family or friends that they left behind because kind of for once they picked what they wanted by going to the library and so that's also something else they need to come to terms with is just like is it bad that they kind of left behind this duty that was placed upon them by their family or expectations of their family to try to chase after something else that they preferred i like that a great deal (laughs) i'm glad i asked that question See, this is great. I'm like, I love introspective bullshit. You know, like the, you start off a Hurlcore talking about how it's like a lot of reflection, like self-reflection and maybe some like mental health stuff. And I just like love that shit. I just eat that shit up. I love putting like mental health kind of reflective, introspective stuff in my writing and in my characters because that's like a way I can explore my own brainworm ass stuff. And so I just love being able to kind of do that. And and this game facilitating that is a uh, dream come true, baby. <laughs> Heroic Chord is therapy. Yes. (laughs) You've absolutely got me pegged. A lot of the mechanics in this game are based on my own mental illness. Like I mentioned that I have a history of dissociating, which is the entire magic system is based on this mental health problem I have. But um, one of the classes, their assist pool consequence is depression. Speaking of which, I believe somebody is playing that class. 
Oh, shit. Actually, yeah, that's uh, another thing. Okay, I know I've been talking for like 15 minutes. I can stop and you guys can go. I was going to say something about the beckoning infiltrators assist pool and, and how that relates to real. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the assist pool because I actually really like the infiltrator assist pool. <laughs> Okay, so the Beckoning Infiltrator, their assist pool, their little kind of helper ability is that, as we mentioned, their thing is kind of being connected to other people. Even if they're stealthing off alone, they always have the connections and whatnot they've made with people, friends, comrades, whatever. And so that's like what their assist pool is, is this network of strength they kind of draw from the people they've met. And so that's like what Kat meant when they said you can text your friends. Like that's what like one of the abilities of this assist pool is direct line you can silently send a message to a person you know it should be no more than a single sentence a quick thought stuff like that and then the consequence which i think is very interesting this is when you use all the scatter in your assist pool i'll just read the copy that cat has because all the copy in heroic court is very beautiful and i'm going to give you guys a some heroic court asmr here as you scatter into this assist pool you feel closer and closer to the people you know you may take on their thoughts their feelings and their mannerisms as this pools scatter in Increases. When it is full, you lose track of which person was you. You may change your demeanor, your voice, and manner of speaking to match someone else you know, or you may flip rapidly between friends, searching for the identity that was yours to begin with. You lose track of your memories, substituting memories you assume others to have. Rill's whole thing is they don't have a sense of self. Like, their entire thing is they do what they think others want them to do because they just have never had that opportunity to really think about that for themselves. And so this consequence of, like, this double-edged sword of, like, depending on other people and being loyal to other people can also, like, bite them in the ass because they don't have that foundation. It builds very well with the Beckoning Infiltrator's consequence where Rill never created that groundwork for them themselves. I'm loving every minute of this. It just brings to the surface what Rill's deep-seated fears is, is that they aren't their own person. They just do what other people want, and they never want anything for themselves. And so it's like they have to come to terms with that. I don't know if we'll be able to get to that. I will try to use my cis pool whenever I can, just so we can maybe explore some of that. But well, no promises. But yeah, no, I just love the beckoning infiltrator for Rill. It's great. So yeah, that's a peek into Rill's really sad and dark brain. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm sorry for taking up all the time. You guys can go next. (laughs) (laughs) So I can go next. Go for it. Okay, please do. So Zen is playing a Enduring Crusader today, which is basically, what if Zen, but also a necromancer? What? Okay, that's fucking sick. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, that's sick. (laughs) Kat, do you want to give us a little blurb on Crusaders? Yes. An Enduring Crusader is a necromancer knight who walks with the dead and understands creatures called horrors. Basically, the far north of Amilta has been overtaken by a swarm of these ghosts of human violence called horrors and they have completely overtaken a place called the labyrinth where the god enduring Gaius resides so in order to get to Gaius to be given any of his power you have to fight your way there you have to fight as part of a team push back these monsters and make it to the center of this underground labyrinth in the unforgiving north There's no such thing as a melee class or a magic class, but this is definitely the most militaristic class. And the assist pool for the Enduring Crusaders is the Fallen. 
they walk with the dead. There were casualties on their pilgrimages. Many people on their pilgrimage do not make it to Gaius. And death is a daily reality for crusaders, even when they're far away from the tundra. God, that's so sick. You know, you think of necromancers as being more magical, but so when you are able to kind of like combine that with, you know, martial stuff, it's just like the flavor is delicious. I love crusaders. We have a house rule on Sword of Symphonies that there are no straight crusaders. Oh, (laughs) yeah, no, of course not. You know, obviously I felt like this worked for Zen because of the more martial aspect. And Zen was a mercenary for a long time, which means working with a team, but also she has been exposed to a lot of death, be it like killing monsters or killing other people fighting for who she's paid to fight for or people within her own team. So, you know, Zen acts all cool and tough, but like there has been a lot of loss and a lot of drama there. But also there's the part of Zen that comes from a more rigid and militaristic background that she hasn't really talked about or reckoned with. And so I think there's some of that, some uh, potential for that here. So Zen's facets are obviously daring is her highest with a four. Understanding is a two. Sensitivity and subtlety are both one. She is not incredibly subtle. And her adaptability is also a two. Really, most of it is that daring. And a lot of that is just that she uses that daring to actively avoid having to really focus on anything else. So Zen's key, we have impulsiveness, curiosity, fearlessness, and her last two kind of seem like opposites. She has obligation and she has independence. Oh, I love that. She's kind of been trying to reckon with those two opposing pieces of her. Like she does feel obligation towards the people around her, obligation to protect them, and perhaps a wider obligation towards the world from where she came that, again, she is trying to avoid. And balancing that with her independence, she wants the freedom to do what she wants and go where she wants and fight giant monsters and kind of have fun with her life. I know I know, Zen is a lot of time just the, uh, the murder hobo of the group, <laughs> but in a game like this where there's a lot of focus on the personality and the individual and the background, there's a lot more to her. So Zen's combat specialty is Vengeance, which is when you're damaged by an opponent's attack. The difficulty for you to destroy them is reduced by one until after your next action. I feel like that works for her. If something hits her, she's going to hit it back and harder. I'm just thinking of um, 13th Age and your... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Her counterattack. And um, what else was there? The assist pool, the fallen, the the dead that walk beside her. Her consequence is the waiting dead. And I'm going to read that because Baffy read theirs out. The dead know that you will join them someday. The more you scatter into this pool, the closer you get to them and the closer they get to you. If you fill your assist pool completely, you become as the dead. The world becomes cold, all your senses go dim, and you are flooded by the realization that it's all over now. You lose your will to fight as the urge to lay down your weapon and rest creeps over you. Until this pool is emptied, you can no longer engage in combat. Holy fuck, that's so metal. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love the idea that like, as Zen kind of 
of loses herself to this scatter mechanic. Like, her ability to fight and her will to fight is such a huge part of her, and for her that to be sort of stripped away from her is kind of profound. That's so dope. Yeah. <laughs> this is the class that does a depression, something I know intimately. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I too would also just like to lay down and go to sleep. <laughs> Let's all just take a nap. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because <laughs> yeah, a lot of Zen is like, she's just constantly doing stuff, and Zen is an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. And that's because if she ever like stops moving, she'd have to like actually think about her life. So instead, swords. With the dead, is this just kind of like a, and this might be more of a question for Kat, but like with the dead that you get closer with, does each person, does each crusader have maybe a vision or a closeness to certain types of dead people they know? Or is it just kind of like in general, like death is upon them as they scatter into this pool? That is something that I largely leave up to the player. It might be like ghosts of people past. It might be people who have died in this area. It's usually people who died violently because that's the way of the crusaders, but it doesn't have to be. So I guess the, now my question for Zen is, is like, would Zen have certain people, past people that she feels calling to her or that she would like imagine as she is like scattering into this pool and getting, you know, more and more spread out? Potentially, yes. And I think specifically there are people in her life that she doesn't know for sure whether or not they are alive or dead. So Rill's a CW teen drama and Zen is Game of Thrones. Got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kat, do you want to hit me with a couple of those questions? I was about to say, my first question is, on some level, is Zen still frightened in combat? Zen's been fighting since she was old enough to hold a weapon. I don't think it frightens her because I don't think she's ever really stopped to consider like the cost of failure. She's never really stopped to consider that she might die even though other people around her have died. So she's not frightened in combat, but that's not really because of bravery so much as willful ignorance. Has she ever considered the cost that she enforces on people? And has she ever felt the emotional impact of that? I don't think she's reckoned with that either. Okay. And I think I'm going to ask the last background question, which is, does she consider herself a soldier first or something else? I think she specifically does not consider herself a soldier. Mercenary slash adventurer for hire is definitely more of what she considers herself because there is a bit more freedom implied there. To be a soldier, like, that option was available to her, and she outright ran away from it. Mm, I'm liking this view of Zen that we're getting. (laughs) (laughs) I told y'all she has secrets. (laughs) Yeah, we want to know. Give them. I missed the secrets. I'm like... Not to give too much away, but I think this arc and the next specifically are going to be real intense. Yes. (laughs) All right, Ziva, hit us up. All right. Yeah. It's my turn. Give us Linda's neurosis. <laughs> yeah. So for Linda, I chose the Tidal Navigator, um, which is a seafaring ranger who has befriended the weather itself. Navigators are really heavily collaborative and cooperative because, well, how about how about you tell us, Kat? You take it away. <laughs> okay. The Daleth Tidal Augustine is an enormous stone archway that lies at the center of a whirlpool. In order to reach Augustine, you need a ship and you need a crew and you need to work together. It's not possible to make this pilgrimage alone. It's not possible to do it without the support of other sailors. 
So on their pilgrimage, navigators learn to entertain each other, to pull together when times are tough, to move quickly when the weather turns sour. And these are the kind of things that build them into tidal navigators. So you're saying I couldn't take out a paddle boat and just kind (laughs) of pray to God and go... (laughs) So I have a question about that. Does that mean that every member of the crew becomes a navigator? I mean, if they speak to Augustine, yeah, cool. It's like a, it's like a class, a graduating class of title navigators. Get in, loser. We're going to talk to God. <laughs> yeah. I wish God would just give me superpowers because I decided to go to church every Wednesday. <laughs> but also, kind of like the Crusaders, like a lot of established Crusaders form battalions to help people with their pilgrimages. Same thing with navigators. A lot of established navigators take neophytes to Augustine on journeys. Oh, that's so cute, though. Yeah, I love how there's not like any sort of competition there. It's like, why wouldn't they want to help people have what they have? you know content warning for like religion and stuff like that but like a lot of religion especially like sects of christianity are like competitive like presbyterians like hate on (laughs) catholics and stuff like that and that's the kind of religion i grew up with where it's just like i want more religion to be like that cooperative like you're just it's a community it should be a community And, and, and that's why i prefaced with like that's my experience with like christianity because there are religions that are like that like i know in islam you know you make the pilgrimage to mecca or whatever like and that that sounds freaking cool and I'm sure like you know there's so many other religions that are like that so just I don't know I don't know a lot about religion so I sound very ignorant right now probably but that's why I just I like the religion or I guess is it religion yeah in Hero Court okay yeah it's the gods yeah so I, I just think that's very cool like I just want to go out with my pals uh, and get fucked up on a boat and then talk <laughs> to God like <laughs> So yeah, I thought that was, that's extremely Linda, Um, this idea of like, you have to go together with a group and there's a group that like takes care of you and teaches you. And then later you take care of and teach the other people who are going. And also it lets me be a pirate bard. So I'm very excited (laughs) about that too, because, uh, because I fucking loved playing a bard. So I'm getting a chance (laughs) to basically do it a little bit differently, but but similar sort of flavor. So on that note, one of my skills is anchor note, which means that um, when I cast a spell, if I play music while I do it, I get one fewer scatter. So I'm very excited about that. Me too. <laughs> what instrument does Linda play? Linda has a lute this time. Love it. With a big yellow ribbon tied on it. I'm, I'm very excited. Linda also, her assist pool is the winds. So as a navigator, you have been at the mercy of the weather for at least one major journey. Once you reached Augustine, uh, you learn something important. The weather in Amilta is its own entity, one that is on very close terms with your new friend. Close enough that you and the winds are friends now, that you can ask for favors from the clouds and rain. The weather is a stubborn creature, but one that will listen to reason, especially from someone Augustine has given their approval to. So that's my assist pool is that I can I can use the winds to help blow people back or to help me or to send a little bit of information to other people. But if I use the winds too much, then a well of aggression bubbles up inside Linda and it overflows. Holy so shit. you can channel this rage <laughs> into combat if you have the opportunity, um, but you don't always get to choose the targets. So sometimes you lash out at the people around you instead. So you get pissed off if you use the winds too much. 
Some of the other skills that Linda has, um, she has survival, melee weapons, performance, athletics, navigation, um, and then I leaned heavily on sort of the Linda skills. So humanity, language, politics, and tactics. In terms of, um, of combat specialty, I took outnumbered, which means if we're outnumbered by two to one or more, we gain it, or I gain an extra action every turn. Nature-wise, Linda's daring is a one, her understanding is a three and her sensitivity is a three because both of those are different forms of like looking around you and trying to make sense and trying to like find the little details. Subtlety is a two and adaptability is a one. So for Linda, I'm really focusing on these more like social and noticing skills. And then finally for the key, the five um, pieces that I chose were helpfulness, friendship, connection, resourcefulness, and manipulation. Ooh. Oh, I love that very much. Yes. I mean, there's always this like, like it doesn't tend to come up a ton in the show so far, but I think it's really important that Linda has this undercurrent of being able to manipulate people and she uses her powers for good on the whole, but there's definitely this like, like she has the ability to turn that really bad um, and to turn that in a much heavier direction. Um, and I don't personally like to play Linda that way a ton, but it is there. And so this, uh, I feel like it's a very important part of her. I love that very much. Did I hit on all my stuff I needed to give you? Now it's time for me to ask you questions. Oh, yes. Ask me questions. What has been Linda's most impressive feat so far? So Linda's most impressive feat so far in the universe or just like in her life? I think like in her life. I think what's the coolest thing, according to Linda, that she's ever done? So Linda's not necessarily like before she joined the library, she didn't do a lot of cool stuff. But probably the thing that she would say that she's like the proudest of is when she had a coworker who didn't want to tell anyone that it was their birthday because there's always one in every office who doesn't want to say when their birthday is. And she found out like <laughs> the morning of that it was it was her boss's birthday, and she she sat down and assembled like an entire big appropriate you know like workplace appropriate but impressive birthday like right then like she managed to <laughs> to like go immediately into into drive mode and assemble all of it like right then without it being a disaster because that's a lot of work but damn it her boss's birthday was gonna be celebrated even if they're that one person in the office who doesn't want to say it's their birthday my next linda question is who does linda think needs her the most so I think probably in terms of in the library, she feels like Rill needs her the most just because she feels like sometimes Rill doesn't have a voice for their own self-care. And so Linda needs to be there to be that voice to like remind them that like sometimes it's good to come outside and sometimes, you know, you got to take care of yourself and, you know, watch yourself talk and stuff like that. But she feels a little bit less like that now because she's um, seen Rill come out of their shell a little bit more. Rill has dumpling and as we all know having pets really encourages you to like get up and take <laughs> care of them this is my emotional support dumpling yes. <laughs> And you know, Rill's like like making friends and and learning and getting along well with Zen as well. So Linda feels like Rill is is starting to to gain a little independence and so she feels less 
less like she has to be protective. But I think unfortunately the answer in the back of Linda's head that's just kind of hanging around is that, um, and this is not something I've mentioned more than maybe like offhand off in the show, but Linda did leave family behind when she went to the library. Um, she and her sister were like so, so close, but she had a nephew that she left behind who was maybe like, I don't know, like nine or 10, like old enough that he would have showed her like Fortnite dances, but he's not like a teenager. So I think that in the back of her head, like that's what she feels like is he probably is the one who needs her the most. Um, but she was, she was going to go do this thing. And so she's trying to like not think about it too much. Real can show her Fortnite dances. Oh, I have no doubt yeah. that Real can show her <laughs> Fortnite dances. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm really glad that you have all shared those with me. That was exactly <laughs> what I wanted. All our characters are sad. Sorry. They're not sad. They're wrestling with sadness. And that's okay. Everybody wrestles with sadness. Cats are therapists for today. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, that's what her own court is about, though. It's about being a whole person and using that to help people. And sometimes being a whole person means being sad. That's okay. I like that. That's a very nice message. Very good philosophy to have for life as well. I'm wholesome. <laughs> you you sure are. are. Very yeah. wholesome. wholesome. I feel like I need to say fuck a bunch or something. <laughs> Gotta balance it out. Shit. Okay. Um. Once we got over all the animal death, we really took a hard turn into just thoughtful and wholesome and introspective. So <laughs> sorry for the first 10 minutes of this episode. <laughs> we're, on, we're on a perfectly safe, non-deadly roller coaster of emotions this episode. Look, if listeners have gotten this far in our podcast, they can last the first 10 minutes of this episode, okay? It's nothing they haven't seen before. Hey everyone, don't worry, the episode's not over yet. I just want to step in and remind you that if you'd like to show us your support, take a moment to leave us a review on Podcatcher or Apple Podcasts. You can also buy our stickers in our Kofi shop or make a donation at Kofi.com slash the Eternity Archives. We're trying to save up the money to upgrade our website, and when we do, we'll be releasing Chapter Zero. This is a never-before-heard and fully edited Eternity Archives adventure, sort of our pilot episode. You'll hear us create the very first library lore and meet our own characters for the first time. Now, We'll be back to the show in just a minute, but before we continue, here's an ad for another podcast from the Be Gay Roll Dice Network. Once you finish our episode, go over and give them a listen. It'll be well worth your time. The year is 2225, and the end of the universe is nigh. Welcome to the Junket Podcast. The Junket Podcast is an actual play and really gay TTRPG adventure currently running the Maelstrom campaign, a science fiction take on Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition featuring spaceships, space aliens, and a whole bunch of space gays. Follow a found family of misfits and miscreants on a cosmic caper that features science and magic, love, loss, and a whole lot of laughter. Who knows, maybe they'll even save the universe or something along the way. Did that tickle your fancy? If it did, new episodes launch every other Thursday at 5pm GMT on all major and minor podcasting platforms. See you soon in the Maelstrom Galaxy. So we've all talked a lot about our characters today, but before we dive into the library, let's just find out a little more about our anchor. So you all know Kat pretty well by now, but what about Kat's archivist? Give us the details. My archivist is a friend who goes by the name Normal Human Magnolia. Is Normal Human their first name <laughs> or first and middle? <laughs> 
Hmm. <laughs> I think it would be more usual to have a first and middle name. Right, so do they look like a person, like a humanoid, or do they look like something else? <laughs> They're a normal human, Bubby! Okay, I'm sorry, you're right. I sh- that was very rude of me to ask. Someone's making assumptions. <laughs> yeah, geez. Normal human Magnolia likes to be in a shape that is tall and lean, and usually has long, blossom pink hair. Ooh. They're an anime. I love them. They're a little bit of an anime. Oh, they're so cute. (laughs) Uh, They love to learn things. They're very curious, but they don't like to work. So they have a habit of just straight up disappearing when asked (laughs) to do tasks. Big same. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that they are anchoring this at all is bizarre, frankly, and they should have disappeared by now. Have they been around like, have we seen them around? Or is it just kind of like we get to the book drop and it's just like, who is this person we've never seen before? Oh, no. Normal human Magnolia is around, just not when they're asked to do okay. work. Fair. Not Me when too. there's work on the table. <laughs> yeah. And I was just going to say, I think like they definitely like recognize the spirit of the slacker within Rill. <laughs> and so like they feel like they get Rill on some level. Oh, for sure. They're fascinated by Linda. <laughs> the more normcore, the better. Normcore? Yeah, like like normcore fashion. Like, what if you wore t-shirts and jeans as your fashion? Yeah. Linda is so normal and such a human. And that is wonderful. Oh, I love that. How long has normal human been around at the library? Definitely longer than the party. They're a little bit cagey about how long because they're a little bit cagey about their age. <laughs> That that's normal human behavior. Okay, I was gonna say, is it because it's beyond normal human age? But <laughs> it's a normal human age to have. Don't <laughs> worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> they like to be in a form that looks to be in about their thirties. Okay, as people do. <laughs> and the most important question that we ask all of our guest archivists: Does normal human attend book club? Yes, and that's what a normal human thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, you read normal human books and have normal human discussion. Normal. Completely normal. Did book club do Eat, Pray, Love? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Because that's an extremely normal human book club (laughs) book, and I feel like... It's it's always Eat, Pray, Love or uh, The Lonely Bone. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are are the book club books. Gone Girl. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. All very normal, which is something that that they have been known to, like, exclaim with delight. They love normal things. They love to learn about normal things. The only thing that they potentially love more than normal things is Zen. They have a largely platonic, vaguely teasing crush on Zen. Interesting. They just think Zen's the coolest. I think Zen uh, is largely oblivious to this. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably for the best. Zen thinks that normal human is just as normal and just as human as they claim to be. That's wonderful, and I'm very glad to hear that. Zen's baseline for what human is, is Linda, so... I mean, I guess that's not true. I guess Zen has known a lot of humans in their their home world, but this is like a weird place with weird people. But um, yeah, normal human tracks... I think Rill would think they were weird, but they also recognize that, like, this is the library and there's lots of different types of people from all kinds of different worlds. So it's not fair to put their own worldview on this normal human. 
And so <laughs> they just take normal humans' word for it. They're like, yeah, I mean, if that's what it's like at your world, that's, I mean, who am I to say otherwise? <laughs> that's the spirit. <laughs> we all need more points in adaptability. <laughs> <laughs> I think Linda might be slightly suspicious, but her like number one thing is that she's pretty friendly and, and welcoming to everyone. And so if normal human treats her with kindness, then she will treat normal human with kindness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Normal human Magnolia is a sweetie. Yes. And since they come to book club and they're constantly complimenting Linda on how normal she is, then hell yeah. That's all it takes. It's <laughs> <laughs> slightly confused about whether how normal is like a good thing to call someone but she'll count it it's said with love so it's said with love and a great deal of excitement normal human makes you're so normal sound like a compliment (laughs) yeah oh yeah normal is their favorite thing they love they love being normal i love them what season of star trek were they on i'd love to watch that they have that vibe a little huh Next gen. They're absolutely next gen. Excellent. That's a very good choice. I yeah, I would watch a show about normal human. <laughs> Should we get Sturterinoed? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. The book thing happens. Wow. Okay, no, <laughs> wait, no. <laughs> Give me a second. So I think what happens is the same thing that always happens. It's very normal. <laughs> it's very normal. Normal library things. <laughs> when the journal does its little psychic vibratron bzz bzz at you. Is the party together? Is the party doing their own thing? What's everybody up to? Maybe we're together this time. Yeah, as I was to say, I was going to make a nomination that, that maybe we're all in Zen's sword class. I like that a lot. Real's probably reading a book, but they are present. Unless, like, Zen, like, grabbed them by the scruff of their neck to, like, <laughs> no, you're doing this. <laughs> Zen occasionally gives them the stink eye because Zen thinks that Real probably needs this more than anyone. <laughs> and Real is oblivious because they are reading a book. <laughs> but Zen also isn't going to make Real do anything that they clearly don't want to do. And Linda seems enthusiastic, so Zen will take what she can get. Linda's trying so hard. She has her like 80s and 90s style sweat headband and wrist thingies. She's got like a fanny pack just full of Gatorade bottles. She's so pumped and wants to learn so much about how to be good at swords. So she's there and she's trying very hard. And this is not like a normal Linda skill. So she's sweating and she's going to be sore tomorrow. But man, she's going to learn how to be good with swords. It's going to be very cool. Hell yeah. What flavor Gatorade? Green, yellow, the regular one. Lemon lime? (laughs) The normal one. Yes. Gatorade flavored. Zen is also wearing one of Linda's sweatbands. Oh. (laughs) I don't think it is clear whether or not Zen actually sweats, but (laughs) I think Linda probably insisted that, like, this is the fashion. So (laughs) this is how you work out. Zen is not, like, an excellent teacher. It's not one of her skills. It's not something she's ever had to do. But over the last few weeks, like, as Linda has been improving as a student, I think Zen is coming around a little bit and learning how to teach in a more comprehensive way instead of just being like, hey, try and hit me. (laughs) That's beautiful. So they're learning from each other. Character growth. <laughs> I love that very much. Linda said right from day one, you're doing such a good job. 
<laughs> you were doing, I mean, maybe not the best job, but you were doing a good job in Linda's heart. So, And Zen knew that Linda was lying. <laughs> not lying. She was still enthused about learning about swords. Dumpling is like the little water boy. They've got right by the cooler. They've got like wet towels or, Aww. you know, dry towels too, I guess. I guess that's the normal thing usually. They got Gatorade. They got all kinds of Gatorade and maybe some mystery liquid from different realms. Aww. You can try if you want. <laughs> what a good mystery baby. liquid. <laughs> Eldritch Gatorade. Does it have the effects of the water at the bottom of the trash can, or does it just taste like the water at the bottom of the trash can? (laughs) It kind of changes from day to day, I think. It's something Dumpling's working on it. It's a concoction of their own device, so... I believe in them, but I wish they wouldn't. (laughs) A flavor no one was meant to know. Wow. (laughs) Love it. What about normal human? Where are they? I think... They are just kind of goofing off on the roof, and it's hard to describe how to get to the roof or what the roof is. Yeah, I was going to say, the (laughs) roof of what? There is definitely a zone that is known as roof, and it is adjacent to something that is known as sky. But how to get there and whether any of those are the same as we understand them in our world, questionable. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of like how a lot of high schools will tell the incoming freshmen about like, oh yeah, there's a pool in the basement. (laughs) But like, whether or not that is real or some like urban legend or something long ago sealed away and lost to time is a little more vague. Yeah, Yeah, I think in the library, it's like anything exists if you can imagine it and like believe in it, I guess. But it's like we're in you know nebulous space (laughs) so to us it's like well there's no roof there's it's space like you know what but you know if you can imagine it it's there so (laughs) zen has never considered that there is a roof but of course there is it's on the other side of the ceiling (laughs) yes (laughs) i mean yeah actually (laughs) yeah this this is pretty much how the library works yeah and then the book goes biz biz at you. The little journals, they send an alert into your subconscious to let you know, all three of you at the same time, that it's time to go on an adventure. Real would just kind of look up from their book and kind of look at Linda and Zen and just kind of be like, well, that's kind of a, a first, isn't it? Yeah, usually we're all scattered all over the place. Uh, well, I guess it's convenient. I don't have any baked goods. I, I need to go. I need to go change. And she like starts like pulling her sweatbands off. Dumpling goes up to you and pats your leg and they have like a little rolling bin behind them. That's like, I don't know. It's like a harness, I guess. How did the harness get on them? Who knows? And it's like uh, in, the, in the container, it's just Ziploc bags of baked goods. <laughs> did, did, did you make these? Dumpling <laughs> just looks at you and nods. baby Linda's gonna lean down and give Dumpling a little ear ruffle and she's confused and feels like maybe she shouldn't eat them but she's gonna take some anyway and decide that she kind of would like to change but it doesn't matter that much because they're gonna be going to an alternate universe and she's not gonna be wearing this presumably yeah you get a shower when you drop through the book drop you are cleansed by the process of being unmade and remade (laughs) spoiler alert Especially Linda is going to have a shower. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So yeah, I guess Linda's going to turn to the others and shrug and say, well, I I suppose we should, shall we? Well, we're already all here. So who's the, uh, who's the anchor? 
it's not me, I don't think. I did it last time, and I don't see it in my book, so... Zen finds her book, flips through it. It's not me either. Linda's going to do the same and, and frown and look up at the two of them and say, I don't think it's me either. Real looks at Dumpling. <laughs> <laughs> Dumpling just shrugs, just gets on its like back legs and just like shrugs. <laughs> shrugs with forearms. Yeah. I guess Real would just be like, uh, okay, well, maybe it's another friend like, like last time. Maybe it's Desi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you sure that would be safe? Uh, No, but... Maybe it's Joseph. I guess we'll find out. And I guess Ro will just kind of hobble over to the book drop. Dumpling is also going towards the book drop with the harness and the rolling bin behind them. And I also want to say Rill probably has been... Their wings have been out more more often. They they kind of started doing that last time with... Aww... Yay! <laughs> when they're not sleeping, I would say their wings are usually out, but they're like Cute. folded behind Confidence. them. <laughs> Yay! Yay! It's beautiful! <laughs> so Zen just gathers up, like, the weapons in the room, and what the hell, she'll bring them with her. So she's heading to the book drop with, like, just arms full of swords. Do they yeah. practice swords, or...? <laughs> Some of them. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> After a little bit, you graduate to real swords. I think when you get to the book drop, you hear, Wow, Zen, so many books, so much violence. Look at all the swords, wow. Dumpling will go over to normal human and stand up, you know, on their hind legs and then tap the bin and like gesturing for normal human to help themselves to some baked goods and uh, Eldritch Gatorade, if they please, if they'd like. (laughs) Don't take the Gatorade. A baby! (laughs) Look at the baby! (laughs) Dumpling loves this reaction and (laughs) claps their paws together and kind of like reaches out for you, like for upsies. Yeah, upsies are absolutely happening. Like, normal human Magnolia picks up Dumpling and just like does the little up and down thing you do with toddlers. It's like, yay, baby! (laughs) And Zen just offers normal human a sword. (gasps) A gift? I'll treasure it forever! I don't think I can bring all these down there with me, so... Uh, I mean, have you tried? We'll see. Uh, okay. Coward. A gift from Zen! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Linda smiles brightly at normal human and waves. Linda! Just, just being friendly. How are you? I think they set down Dumpling and prepare to high-five Linda. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Linda's pumped. She comes in for the yeah! high-five. Big high-five. Big high fives. Right on the money. <laughs> Do people refer to normal human as normal? Normal human? Can real call them like norm? Normie? A lot of people <laughs> refer to them just by Magnolia. Okay, Magnolia. Okay. Real just gives them a small wave from the back. Hi, real. <laughs> <laughs> They're making us work today, huh? Uh, yeah. I got caught. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cute. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, you uh, you can't win them all. Can't. Mondays, am I right? Mondays. <laughs> oh, God. Is it a Monday? Are there days here? What's a Monday? Uh, <laughs> it's a day of the week. It's the one where you have to go back to work, then. But you have to keep Saturday alive in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there are specific days you have to work and not work? 
Yes. Yeah, I mean... Who came up with that? Do they not have the 9 to 5 where you're from, Zed? The what? The 9 to the, 5. The 9 to 5. You know, it's it's a, it's a way to make a living. It goes from 9 to 5. No, really, it was... Um, <laughs> if someone paid me to do something, I would do it, but also kind of on my own time. Like, if I needed to sleep or stop. Oh, oh you're like a freelancer. Freelance. Yeah, you uh, a gig, gig economy worker. Uh-huh. Right. Well, where I'm from, there are specific days and times that you need to do work, or at least pretend to do work. And she gives, like, a big over-exaggerated wink. <laughs> that sounds horrible and inefficient, and I don't like it. <laughs> None of us do! <laughs> Linda's a Dilbert comic. <laughs> Linda's a Garfield comic. Okay, you're right. And maybe a Kathy. She's, she's, she's got some Kathy energy. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate, chocolate egg. Why am I cackling at that? (laughs) Mm. Actually, though, I guess I'm going to be the anchor for this one. Oh, Oh, that's pretty cool. Good for you. Wait, all of us or? Yes, you're all going to my hometown. Isn't that exciting? Oh, 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 Mm -hmm. I bet you'll be able to give us a ton of wonderful information. Yeah. What's your hometown called? I'm from a place called Amilta. That's a beautiful name. My hometown, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, I mean, I wasn't, but now I, I am a little bit. So give us the scoop here. Am I going to have a tail? Am I going to look like this? Yeah, about that. Most people in my home world are normal humans. Uh, like you. Right. Um, so unfortunately, I think you'll still be cute if you're a normal human, Zen, but... Oh, thank you. It may be a little uncomfortable. Rill just, like, looks, like, side-eyes Linda and, like, waggles their eyebrows. Like, what's going on there? <laughs> Linda gives you a look back that's like, oh, don't worry. I will Facebook stalk the shit out of this when we get back. <laughs> oh, does anyone still even say that? I'm a hundred. <laughs> Facebook stalk. <laughs> and also, I guess people don't really, um, sword at each other anymore a lot there what what do you mean like cut each other i mean like where i'm from people don't usually sort each other either a long long time ago people used to sort each other all the time okay all right okay then they stopped for reasons that i wasn't personally privy to that makes me wonder if you are privy to them but i can't judge (laughs) fun uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Real just starts walking over to the book drop. Like, yeah. So your contact is going to be my little cousin, Rowan. Say hi, okay? Oh, you have a cousin? Yes. Is their name normal human Rowan or just Rowan? Hmm. I wonder what they're going by these days. Oh, I mean, you just said Rowan. Is that not? <laughs> <laughs> just Rowan should be fine. Zen kind of raises a hand a little like, Should we tell them that you're here, or safe, or anything? Oh no, that's a good idea, actually. Tell them that I'm having a wonderful time! Okay, and Magnolia's what they know you by, or- Yes! Okay, Uh, and they give a peace sign, and then fall backwards. (laughs) 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 Wow, real seems, uh- on top of things today. <laughs> this, is a, this is a powerful, confident reel I'm very excited for. Yeah. <laughs> Linda's going to politely request a sword from Zen and just kind of 
hold on to it and wave goodbye and walk through the book drop after them. Yeah, Zen will pick out a weapon of choice, kind of say, you know, just in case, and leave the rest on the floor of the book drop. You know, they may or may not still be there when she gets back. Can you fucking imagine being the library janitor? Like, you're, like, minding your own business, and you're like, who left this pile of sword on the floor? (laughs) Zen! (laughs) I think as Rill's, like, falling backwards, it's like, oh, shit, we forgot to ask what we're doing. (laughs) Just, oh, shit, we sure did. Zen will follow the others through the void. According to my notes here, the party goes through the normal process of going to a world, getting all rearranged and what have you. Golly, what a thing to have happen. The party goes through the process of entering the book drop, and it is more physically taxing for some people than others. Some people are losing appendages. Some people are gaining appendages. Gaining? Zen doesn't have five fingers. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I studied for this. Partway through the book drop, you are interrupted. Not by something happening, and not by going anywhere but by a sudden and visceral memory of having gone somewhere and having been somewhere that is simultaneously here and now and interrupting this process of transmogrification and also sometime in your past. You feel like you could mark it on a calendar if you had one. You also feel like it never happened. Zen, you are struck by a vision of standing in front of a marble pillar many times your own size. It is seamed through with cracks and veins of gray, and everything around it is darkness. People lie on the ground nearby, armored people, warriors, you can tell, you can see it in their eyes, tending to the wounded, wrapping bandages around one another, casting nervous glances at the shadowed exits, from where you can still hear screaming and the shrieking of beasts. And a voice emanates from this pillar in the ice cold of this place. Welcome, warrior. What do you bring to my world? What do I bring? I'm not sure. We are still fighting our wars, though we abandoned war a century ago. Remember this, that war leaves ripples through the worlds that will persevere through apocalypses and leave a legacy of violence that will not end, even after we do. Rill finds himself standing on a lush, green hillside. There is no one around. That's not entirely true. There is a feeling of someone watching. There is a sense that someone is nearby, but you can see no one. It is twilight. The shadows are long, and the sky still glows, and in front of you there is a white, elegant hand, raising up out of that hillside, toward you, as if calling you. Rill would approach it, but they're kind of like glancing around them, like trying to place that presence that's calling them. And you hear a voice that says, Welcome, Welcome little one. What, what do, do you, you intend, intend to, do to do here? Uh... I have to find someone named Rowan, and I kind of goofed because I didn't ask what we were supposed to do, so that's honestly a fantastic question. Uh, Magnolia, can you hear me? There is no response. Oh, yeah. Honestly, 
I should have asked that question before I did the peace sign and fell backwards. So, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here just yet, but soon, hopefully. Let me help you decide, little one. What is normal is not always right. And normal is the fiercest foe a person can face. It takes boundless courage to look normal in the eye and destroy it. But we must. Oppression is normal. Cruelty is normal. Do you understand me? Are you telling me to kill Magnolia? Because that's kind of what it sounds like you're saying. <laughs> no. The opposite. Oh, okay. I am telling you to think about why you act. And to never let what is normal overshadow what is right. Yeah. Cool. But where am I? And that's, I think, where that one ends. <laughs> <laughs> Linda finds herself standing on the deck of a ship pounded by torrential rain, crashed against by enormous waves, and the ship is slowly circling a great green arch of granite in the middle of a whirlpool. It is covered in silver lichen, and it is beautiful. And Linda hears a voice coming from the archway. Welcome, new friend, old friend, office mixer. Have you met my friends, new and old? A treasure every time buried and unearthed ceremoniously, unceremoniously. Every time a treasure, and now office mixer friend, distant friend, do you hear? There is beauty in this world. Do you remember the beauty in the things that you fear? Do you remember the beauty in the howling through the night? Every time a treasure, everything a treasure, and this memory first of many. Welcome. Thank you. I, I'm not sure... I understand, but I, I look forward to getting to know you better, and, and, and maybe maybe I'll learn. And somewhere in the nonsense, you can hear a smile. Aw, yay. <laughs> and then, the three of you wake and find yourselves lying on the ground. Together, journals in hand, in the present, in a time that you remember only because instants have crept by since the last instant very much here and now, and all around you are tall, defiant stalks of lavender. And that's where we'll pick up next time, here on the Eternity Archives. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Siva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. This chapter was sponsored by Martha Miller, and editing assistance for this episode was provided by Nikki from Beholder to No One. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Be gay! Roll dice! An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.